This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we start off with a visit with Dr. Watson, who will give us an exciting tale of an adventure that Master Detective Sherlock Holmes was involved in. Now, of course, all of these series based on the writings of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a British writer and physician mostly noted for creating the fictional detective Sherlock Holmes and writing stories about him, which are generally considered milestones in the field of crime fiction. Doyle was born May 22nd of 1859 at 11 Picardy Place in Edinburgh. Because his family was poor, they were supported by wealthy uncles. Doyle was sent to England to attend a Jesuit preparatory school at the age of nine, and after studying at Stonyhurst College until 1875, he went on to be educated at a Jesuit school in Austria. He later rejected the Catholic faith and became an agnostic. He also later became a spiritual mystic. From 1876 to 1881, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. During that time, he studied practical botany at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh, and while studying, began writing short stories. His first published piece, The Mystery of Sasasa Valley, a story set in South Africa, was printed in Chambers Edinburgh Journal on the 6th of September, 1879. Jumping ahead to 1882, Doyle left to set up an independent practice, arriving in Portsmouth in June of 1882 with less than 10 pounds, which in today's money would be 900 pounds. The practice was initially not very successful, And while waiting for patience, he again began writing fiction. He struggled to find a publisher for his work. His first work featuring Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, A Study in Scarlet, was taken by Ward Locke & Company on November 20th of 1886 and gave him 25 pounds. Now, in today's money, that would be 2,500 pounds, nothing to be sneezed at. Holmes was partially uh, modeled on his former university teacher, Joseph Bell. So, with that background, we go to tonight's episode, Disappearing Scientists. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine... ...invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend... That master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And now I'm sure our good friend and host, Dr. Watson, is waiting, so let's go in and join him. 
Good evening, Blackie. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Here, Down, down, Monty. Down, down there. Don't seem very chipper tonight. Yes, tonight, yes, but they've been in disgrace most of the day, Mr. Bartell. Oh? What have they been up to? After the seals again, Doctor? Oh, my boy, this time it was chickens. They got into my neighbor's coop and had a delightful time. Fortunately, there were no casualties, but I'm afraid that my, uh, <laughs> my good neighbor policy has suffered a slight diplomatic strain. But you come here to listen to Sherlock Holmes' adventures, not those of my dog, so uh, draw up your usual chair and make yourself comfortable, and uh, I'll get on with tonight's story. Last week, Doctor, you told us it was a case in which Sherlock Holmes found the solution without ever meeting any of the suspects. That's quite correct, Mr. Bartell. As remarkable as an exhibition of long-distance detection as I ever recall. But uh, judge the story for yourself, my boy. It's in the autumn of 1903, and Sherlock Holmes was about to retire to his bee farm on the Sussex Downs. I must confess, Mr. Bartell, that my heart was heavy during those last few weeks we spent at Baker Street. I thought of the countless adventures that we'd shared together. I remembered those many evenings of quiet comradeship and companionship. A fire blazing away in the hearth as Holmes lay back in the shadows playing his beloved violin. And then, Mr. Bartell, as so often happened, there'd be a violent jangle on our doorbell and some wretched soul in misery would be standing before us and pouring out his troubles. Suddenly the violin would be discarded and Holmes the dreamer would become Holmes the man of action. Tom Watson, the game's afoot, he'd say. And in a few moments later, we'd be rattling off in a cab through the foggy, gaslit London streets. Yes, Doctor, I can imagine it was pretty hard for you to leave Baker Street. It was, Mr. Bartell. However, as it transpired, there was one more adventure awaiting us before we left. A few days before the actual move, I persuaded Holmes to take an afternoon off from his packing and accompany me on a visit to the laboratory of an old friend of mine. A professor, Jean Boulin. He was an eminent French scientist engaged in very important work at the London University. Well, by the way, this was at a period, Mr. Bartell, when radium was something extremely new and extremely rare. The university had just acquired a minute but invaluable portion of the element, and Professor Boulin was in charge of the research connected with it. I can remember the picture so well as Holmes stood in the laboratory talking with keen... Interest. Quite amazing. Think that this tiny leaden vessel contains one of the most precious substances in the world. Yes, Mr. Holmes. We have a great deal to thank Madame Curie for. This new element may force us entirely to revise our concepts of all physical structure. Your research is a great responsibility, Boulin. It is, Watson. But I must confess that I wish the authorities here would give me a freer hand. I foresee such infinite possibilities in the use, particularly the medical use of radium. But my conservative superiors seem to regard it only as a toy, a scientific curiosity. Limit your experiments accordingly, I suppose. Exactly. Given no opportunity to do anything that's in the least radical. Mm, it must be very disheartening. How can research ever get anywhere along those lines? It is a great misfortune, Holmes, that you've determined to retire to your bee farm. <laughs> uh, this project, we could use such an analytical mind as yours. <laughs> you flatter me, Professor. How many assistants do you have working with you, Buller? Three, but none of them are very inspired, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. My best assistant is a man named Barker. He's a little on the conservative side, too. But he is extremely adroit. The other two, a young man called Taylor and the girl Gladys Hughes. They mean well. But gauche, I fear, is the only word to describe them. 
<laughs> why, why, why do you laugh? I was just amused to observe that in describing my assistance, I chanced to be literal as well as figurative. It's odd that random symbolism can sometime, uh, uh, but never mind that. You would like to see the rest of the laboratory? Yes, yes, indeed we yes, would. Thank you very much. I have some extraordinarily interesting photographic plates that record the emanations of radium. They're over here. I think you will find them most fascinating. Baker Street, particularly when our rooms are full of packing cases, seems rather drab after the scientific stimulations of Professor Boulin's laboratory, doesn't it, old chap? Yes, it seems drab, even if we hadn't been to see him. I feel frightfully depressed, Holmes. I just don't know what I'm going to do without you. Oh, you're still a young man, Watson, and a susceptible one. You'll marry again. Oh, no, I won't. Yes, <laughs> you will, old chap. And you'll end up by being glad that your old roommate, your difficult, rather unsociable old roommate is living in retirement on the Sussex Downs. Rubbish. I shan't feel anything of the kind. In any case, I don't think you'll be able to stay in retirement for long. Your mind is much too alert to be satisfied by being a sort of midwife to a bunch of beastly bees. Oh, dear Watson. I feel that you'll never eat honey again. Yes, you can laugh, Holmes, but I could see how excited you were when Bula suggested that you might help him with his radium experiment. Oh, flattering suggestion, I must admit, my dear fellow. Just the same, I... Oh. Now, who the devil's that? From the urgency of the tug on the bell pull, I'd say that it was a client. Then go and head him off, will you, old chap? Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Oh, Watson, explain that I'm no longer in practice. It's too late, Holmes. He's pressed past Mrs. Hudson. Here he comes rushing up the stairs. Oh, confound it. I beg your pardon, sir. Are you but, Mr. Uh, Sherlock Holmes? Uh, no, I am not Sherlock Then you must be Mr. Holmes. That is my name, sir. But may I ask what accounts for your rather whirlwind entrance? My housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson... I haven't any time to consider oh. etiquette. My sister Gladys Hughes has vanished. Vanished mm -hmm. into thin air. You've got to find her for me, Mr. Holmes. I'll pay you any fee you name, but you've got to find uh, her. Mr. Hughes, I'm extremely sorry that your sister has vanished, but I'm afraid that I can do nothing to help you. I'm retiring. I'm giving up my practice. If you won't help me, I'll go to someone who will. That's exactly what I mean, sir. I suggest that you go to the police, or if you insist on a private investigator, I can strongly recommend Mr. Martin Hewitt. Yes, his address is um, 39 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. Good day to you. Uh, good day, Mr. Hughes. 36 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. <clears throat> Yes, I can understand his concern, but his manners leave a great deal to be desired. Holmes, Holmes. Gladys Hughes, his missing sister. That was the name of one of Professor Boulin's assistants, wasn't it? True, old fellow, but it's uh, probably only a coincidence. What? Both Christian and surnames are extremely common ones. Well, I... I have a feeling that it may not be a coincidence. Oh, come now, my dear fellow. Don't you try and embroil me in a fresh adventure. I've retired and I'm leaving for Sussex in a few days. And if any more clients come wrenching at my doorbell, I shall ignore them. But, Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. My son, Jeffrey Barker, has disappeared. I'm sorry, Mrs. Barker, but I'm afraid I'm... But Holmes, Jeffrey Barker was the name of Professor Boulin's chief assistant. Uh, Watson, please believe me when I say that I am not to be inveigled into any further... Now, Mrs. Taylor, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. Oh, but, Mr. Holmes, it's my husband. He's disappeared. We, we've only been married three months, and now... Oh, it's terrible. I, I've been so worried ever since he started to work on that strange new radium with Professor Jean Bernard. Holmes, you can't pretend it's coincidence any longer. Gladys Hughes, Jeffrey Barker, and now Taylor. The three assistants of Professor Bullard. I know it, Watson. Mrs. Taylor, the moving van will be here tomorrow to take, to take my things to Sussex. I shall follow them immediately. I have retired, madam. Do you understand that? Retired. 
Yes, another telegram for you, Holmes. That'll be the fourth today. Why won't Scotland Yard leave me alone? Well, it's a pretty strange business. Three people engaged in research of this new element, radium, have all disappeared within 48 hours. Scotland Yard needs your help. Let them earn their salaries, my dear Watson. I've helped them for the last time. Well, let's see how they've couched their latest diffusion. Oh, this isn't from Scotland Yard. It's from my brother, Mycroft. Mycroft? What's he going to say? Listen to this. Now Professor Boulin has disappeared. Great Scott. And the radium with him. Surely the pattern is obvious, Sherlock. Radium must be found. Could solve the problem for you, but I'm too lazy. Consider what a flashy case for you to retire on regards Mycroft. <laughs> the old devil. Holmes, this is shocking. My old friend Boulin has, has disappeared. Yes, Watson. And now my brother asks me to investigate. Hmm. The pressure becomes irresistible. Very well. I bow to fate and postpone my retirement for a few hours. Good man, Holmes. You know you'll you'll never really retire. Uh, yes, Mycroft says there's an obvious pattern in this case. Our first step, of course, will be to interview all the doctors who treat patients without charge. Why? Well, surely that's obvious. Well, it isn't at all obvious to me. I don't know why you always leave me in the dark. <laughs> well, what makes you laugh? <laughs> Left in the dark. It's just like the old times, isn't it, Holmes? <laughs> Come on, old fellow, let's go. The game's afoot. Uh, Dr. MacDonald, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I'm very glad to meet you. And are you, uh, Dr. MacDonald? I swear that I've never been in as many doctor's offices as I have today. But Mr. Holmes is in search of some information. Perhaps, Doctor, you, you can help him. I'll do my best. Uh, what do you want to know, Mr. Holmes? Uh, whether you have any charity patients with skin eruptions or growths of any kind. I mean, oh. patients that have not kept their appointments recently, perhaps. Now, let me see. Why, why yes, I do. Old Mrs. Pendle. She has a very bad case of lupus. She was due for a treatment here yesterday, and I've seen nothing of her. Splendid. Can you give me her address? Why, certainly. It's in my book here. Well, I hope this isn't a false trail, Holmes. You can only explore it and see, dear chap. Uh, here we are. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Thank you, Doctor. I'm greatly obliged to you. Getting restless, Watson? Yes, I am a little. We've been waiting outside Mrs. Pendle's house for over an hour. Why don't we knock on the door and see if she's at home? Oh, no, 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 my dear chap. You mustn't frighten her. I hope that she's going to lead us to our quarry. You see, shh, shh, shh. That door's opening. The woman's coming out. Yes, it's Mrs. Pendle, beyond doubt. Look at that bandage on the upper part of her face. Yeah. Hello, she's turning down the street. We're going to follow her, I suppose. Naturally, but let's give, us a, let's give her a start, shall we? We don't want her to spot us. Well, while we're waiting, perhaps you'll clear up one or two points for me. I'm still very much in the dark. With pleasure, old chap. What puzzles you? Well, one of the things that Come I... Come on. Do... What? You've given her enough of a start. Let's follow her. Oh, very well, very well. But look here, Holmes. You asked me what I didn't understand. Two things puzzle me. What did Mycroft mean by the pattern of the case? Why are we following a poor sick old lady through the London streets? I'll ask, answer the first question, and I think the answer to the second will be self-apparent. The pattern of the case is clear. Professor Boulin and his three assistants have vanished together with the radium, but their disappearances were not simultaneous. Had they been so, it would have been a transparent case of theft. 
But with the disappearances gradual rather than simultaneous, the emphasis has been subtly shifted. Yes, I can see that, Holmes. But what do you suppose is the back of the whole business? Can't be a simple case of theft. Radium is enormously valuable. But it'd be hard stuff to sell again. Not to an unscrupulous criminal with a knowledge of medicine, Watson. My own theory, and I admit at the moment that it's purely a theory, is that Professor Boulin was worried because he was so hampered in his research. You remember that he stressed his great faith in the medical values of the new element, radium. Yes, 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 he did. It's more than possible that he places the rights of science above the rights of property, that he's determined that he and his group will carry on their invaluable research unhampered by the conservative restraints of the university. I see what you mean, Holmes, but how does Mrs. Pendle, the poor woman that we're following, into the picture? Because one of the chief lines of radium research on the continent so far has been with her sort of trouble. Professor Boulin's obvious move, if my theory is correct, would be to contact poverty-stricken patients... Promise them relief, induce them to abandon their regular treatments, and submit to him. By Joe, yes, Holmes, that seems perfectly logical. And yet, I can't believe that Boulin would... Mrs. Uh... Pendleton has uh, reached her destination. She's turned down a driveway. Yes, she's walking up to what looks like a, a deserted well. Hurry, old chap. Don't let her out of our sight. She's opened the door without knocking. She's gone in. We'll wait here for a moment or two, and we'll follow her. I have a feeling that your old friend, Professor Poulain, is not far away, Watson. Yes, you're probably right. I hope we can do something to protect him from the consequences of what he's done. It might easily mean the finish of a brilliant career. I'll do everything in my power, but you know as well as I do... Shh, look, 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 look. She's pencils coming out again. Yes, and she's in trouble. Come on. Mrs. Pendle, what's wrong? I don't know how you know my name or who you be, but you ask me what's wrong. They tell me to come here to this address, and I find a doctor who dealt my face. I comes here, and what do I find? What did you find, madam? A corpse, sir. That's what I find. A dead man lying there in a great pool of his own blood. <laughs> Dr. Watson, so following the tracks of old Mrs. Pendle led you to a corpse, huh? Yes, Mr. Bartell. Of course, Sherlock Holmes and I went at once into the broken-down warehouse to examine the scene of the tragedy. Slumped over a desk in a dark and shabby room, a flickering candle giving a macabre lighting to the scene, was the body of a man. I think I knew its identity even before Holmes turned to me. Professor Boulan. All right, Watson. Poor devil. Murdered, of course. Yes, but examine him for yourself, will you? Yes. Yes, there's no doubt about it. This wound couldn't have been self-inflicted. The right oracle of the heart has, has been pierced. How long ago would you estimate death took place? Uh, not more than a, a couple of hours ago, I should say. Uh, not hard to reconstruct the killing. The murderer came up from behind Boulin as he sat here, crooked an arm around his throat... Yes. See the finger marks on the right-hand side of the neck? Here? Then stabbed him in the chest. Then withdrew the weapon and disappeared. Leaving no traces, confound it. A dusty room is an ideal place for recording footprints, but uh, half a dozen different prints here, including Mrs. Pendle's. Hello. Here's the print of a smaller woman's shoe. Well, it must be that of Gladys Hughes, his assistant. Undoubtedly. But that really proves nothing except that she was here with him. The fact that we were convinced of anyway. Mm. Question is... Come on. Go outside and talk to Mrs. Pendle again. Poor old Boulin. What a shocking way to die. And what a great loss to science. 
I suppose the murderer must have stolen the radium. We found no trace of it in there. Undoubtedly, the possession of the radium was the motive for the murder. Uh, Mrs. Pendle. The poor man is dead, ain't he, sir? I'm afraid so, madam. I knew it. I never should have come here. I never should have left Dr. MacDonald. Mrs. Pendle, let me ask you a question. I can't be answering no questions, sir. I don't know nothing about how the poor soul got himself murdered. What would a poor woman like me know about such things? No, 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 my good woman. My friend isn't suggesting at all that you know anything about the murder. Then what do you want to know, sir? Who told you to come to this address today, Mrs. Pendle? A young lady. Nice young lady she was, too. She met me coming out of Dr. MacDonald's yesterday and told me that if I come here today, I'd find a doctor who could cure me. That was obviously Miss Hughes. Holmes, I believe that your theory was right. Come on, Mrs. Pendle. We'll escort you to the nearest police station where you can report the murder. Yes, sir. And then, Watson, we must keep on the track of the radium. That, perhaps, is more important than any life. Well, how are we going to do that? We haven't a clue to go on. Remember that Professor Boulin's three assistants are still missing. We must go to the homes of each of them and see what can be found out. Mr. Hughes, you must realize by now that your sister's disappearance is part of something vastly more significant than you think. I must ask you in the... My first... sister didn't disappear. Mr. What do you mean, sir? You came to us and said that you had. Oh, it was all a mistake, gentlemen. She came back today. She'd just been down to the seaside for a short rest, and she'd forgotten to let me know. I'm sorry to have bothered you. May I see your sister at once, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Holmes, but she's out just now. I don't know where she's gone or what time she'll be back. Mrs. Barker, I've come to you about your son's disappearance. I'm afraid that... Oh, but my son didn't disappear, Mr. Holmes. It was all a misunderstanding. He came home today. Then may we speak to him, please, Mrs. Barker? Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. You see, he... Mrs. Taylor, I want to talk to you about your husband's disappearance. Oh, that... He came home this afternoon, Mr. Holmes. At first I was so suspicious, but... But when he explained, well... (laughs) Well, I'm sure you know how it is in the first few months of marriage. Those, those little tears. Confound it, Watson. We're no nearer the solution. And meanwhile, here we are back in Baker Street to find that the moving van has taken all your things off to Sussex. Perhaps you should give up the case, Holmes, and follow them. Close my career on another failure. No, 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 my dear fellow. I shall not leave London until this problem is solved. Oh, that case, sir. I'll sit down. <laughs> Looks to me as if it may prove a lengthy wait. I've really felt more frustrated, Watson. All three vanished technicians home safely with plausible stories, or at least plausible alibis, and poor Boulin murdered with a radium stolen. Well, I must say it makes no sense to me. Well, it must make sense. The pattern was well enough to find in the beginning. It's just a question of finding the right key. In a way, it's clear enough what's happened... One of the three assistants, placing the financial value of radium above its value to science, murdered Boulin to obtain the prize. The other two, fearing that their complicity in the original plot would involve them as accomplices in murder, ran home and established an alibi. And the murderer did the same thing, for it's obvious one of the three must be the killer and the thief. Yes, the question is, which one of the three is the culprit? If only poor Boulin were alive, he could help us. My dear chap. If Boulin were alive, there would be no murderer. Oh, of course it wouldn't. Now, let's see, let's see, let's see. Boulin gave us a few bare facts about his three assistants. I wonder... But, of course, Watson, I have the answer. The case is solved. What do you mean, Holmes? How can it be solved? You 
haven't done enough investigation. If it comes to that, you haven't even seen any of your three suspects. That isn't necessary. You know who did it? Yes, Watson, and so should you. We know nothing to set them apart from each other, except that one of them's a girl. We know more than that, my dear fellow. Think hard. Well, Boulin told us that Jeffrey Barker was an excellent technician, while the other two were somewhat uh, clumsy. We know even more than that. Best if I know what, Holmes. I shan't even need to stay in London and follow the case through to its logical conclusion. A telegram uh, to uh, Mycroft and another to uh, Scotland Yard to take care of it, yes. And I can be in Sussex before the moving van, after all. Oh, you mean you're going now before the case is solved? But it is solved, my dear fellow. All that remains to be done is some purely routine work. Uh, what's the time? Look, it's three o'clock. Splendid. If we hurry, we can catch the 345 Express from Waterloo. We? Yes, I um, I was counting on you spending a few days down there with me, old chap. I, I hope you can spare the time. I should hate to make so drastic a change without uh, my good old friend Watson at my side. Oh, of course. I'm uh, delighted, but... Uh, but but uh, what, my dear boy? The case of the disappearing scientists. Wait until we get to Sussex, shall we? Hmm? As soon as I get an answer to my telegrams, I'll explain the whole thing to you. And now let's hurry, shall we? Our train leaves in 40 minutes. <laughs> More tea, Watson? Thanks, old boy. Ah, peaceful down here, isn't it? Extremely. At the moment, I must confess, <clears throat> I find it rather nerve-wracking. Oh, why? Uh, well, you know why, Holmes. I want you to open that telegram and tell me if your solution to the, to the Moulin case is, was the correct one. Very well, my dear chap. Let's see. Uh-huh. It's from Mycroft. Listen. Murderer arrested and radium recovered. Well done, Sherlock, though you took longer than I expected. Regards, Mycroft. Congratulations, Holmes. <laughs> and now perhaps you'll con- condescend to, to tell me how you solved it. Don't be angry with me, old chap. I only oh. wanted to make sure that my solution uh, was correct. You remember the uh, the nature of the fatal wound on Boulin's body? Of course. He'd been stabbed through the right oracle of the heart. From behind. Proving that the murderer was... Clearly right-handed. Oh, what does that signify? Almost everybody's right-handed. Oh, no, not in this case. If you recall, Professor Boulin said that uh, Jeffrey Barker was adroit, while his other two assistants were gauche. And he laughed because he said his remark was true, both literally and figuratively. I still don't see what I'm talking about. Oh, come now, Watson, come. Uh, Think of the origin of the word adroit. Adroit. Droit is the French word for right. And gauche is, is the word for left. Meaning the two gauche assistants were left-handed, and therefore only the adroit, the right-handed Barker, could have inflicted the fatal wound. I see it now, Holmes. <laughs> you know, if you'd remembered that mark of Boulin's at the time we found his body, you could have solved the case much sooner. That's true, old fellow, very true. <laughs> and when my old friend Watson points out that my memory is failing and my mind sluggish, then I know that my retirement has been postponed for... Far too long. Well, so so Holmes really went through with his idea of becoming a bee yes, farmer. Yes, of course, of course. It became one of his favorite hobbies. Do you know anything about the, the raising of bees? Oh, nothing at all. The only connection I've ever had with bees was very remote. Once I had the hives. Once you had the... Oh, no, oh, no, no, Mr. Barker. (laughs) Oh, yes, Dr. Watson. But seriously, I do know one thing about bees. Even when you know all about them, you're apt to get stung. That's true enough. 
So I'll make my hobby Petri wine. You know, you can't miss when you buy Petri wine because Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. In fact, they started way back in the 1800s. And they've handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the knowledge and experience absolutely essential to the making of truly fine wine. And since the making of Petri wine is a family affair, you can be sure that the name Petri means something on a bottle of wine. Those letters, P-E-T-R-I, are more than a trademark. They're the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of Petri wine is good wine. So when you buy wine of any type, you can put your faith in the Petri label, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next well, week? Well, next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you about one of the weirdest adventures that Holmes and I ever had. It concerns a haunted chapel in the wilds of Cornwall, strange organ music that played at midnight, and the headless ghost of a murdered monk. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Rygate Puzzle. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California invites you to tune in again next week Same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. A very popular series in the 40s was My Friend Irma. Just how dim-witted can Irma get? Well, we'll find out in this episode called Bon Voyage. Jane! Jane! Yes, what is it, honey? What's this dotted line on the map of the world? Dotted line? Oh, that's the international date line. Isn't that wonderful getting the boys and girls from different countries to go out with each other? (laughs) Well, that's what you can expect when you listen to my friend Irma. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship When other friendships have been forgotten, theirs will still be hot Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend presents Our friend Swan with my friend Irma Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane happened to me, Jane Stacy, shouldn't happen to a dog. A big one. A little one couldn't handle it. <laughs> you see, my boss and the guy I'm in love with, Richard Rhinelander, has suddenly decided to go to England on business. He says it's business. There's no reason to doubt him. 
except that his mother and father look so happy about his leaving me. Why, I don't know. I'm just an innocent bystander. Perhaps they're under the impression that I want to get engaged to him. They're wrong. I just want to marry him. <laughs> What's more, let's face it, I don't mind shipping our money out of the country to help. I'm in favor of that, but it's going too far when they ship our men. But then that's the problem. Richard's sailing on the Queen Mary, so today I'm moping around. I'm not eating. Lost my appetite. Think for lunch I'll put a little salt on my heart and eat it with a dry piece of Melba toast. <laughs> oh, Jane, I have a feeling you're upset, aren't you? Me upset? Oh, don't be silly. <sighs> the only reason I'm shaking like this is because I'm getting ready to make a malt of milk. <laughs> oh, Jane, now I know why you're so nervous. You're thinking about Richard going to England, aren't you? Yes, Irma. Even though he hasn't left yet, I miss him already. You know, he's going to be over 3,000 miles across the ocean. Well, it could be worse. Worse? How could it be worse? If he only went 2,000 miles, he'd drown. <laughs> well, I hope he does. Oh, what am I saying? Oh, Jane, listen to me. I'm your oldest friend, and this trip might be very good for both of you. Now you can find out how much you miss each other. Yeah, yeah, there's something to that. They say that separation is a great test. I'd like to believe. Well, it certainly is. Once Al and I were separated, and we had a miserable time. Where did Al go? Nowhere. We were in the movies, and a woman was sitting between us. <laughs> I know what it is to suffer. Yeah. I can imagine having to split a bag of popcorn three ways. <laughs> It's you, Richard. Uh, oh, Richard, why must you go? Why don't you send your father instead? He'd love the trip, the old dear. <laughs> you have to go, but you love me. Oh, that's sweet. Sure, I'll come down to see you off. I... What? You want Irma and Al and Mrs. O'Reilly and the professor to come, too? Well, that's nice of you, Richard, but it's not necessary, honestly... You want them to come. All right, dear, I'll tell them. Goodbye. Tell us what, Jane? What do you think, sweetie? Richard's invited the whole gang to see him off on the boat tomorrow night. A bon voyage party in his stateroom. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I, I think I'll wear slacks. Slacks? Yes, Jane, if I fall off the boat, someone will yell, man overboard, and if I'm wearing a dress, I can drown while I'm looking for the man. <laughs> well... Don't worry, honey. You won't fall overboard. Gee, you know, I hope Richard doesn't fall in love with any of those English girls. Oh, don't worry, Jane. Richard wouldn't fall for any of those English girls. They're all bow-legged. Bow-legged? Yes, they say a lot of them are cockneyed. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for straightening me out, honey. And I suppose they're all so poor they have to live in the House of Commons. Well, Jane, I, I don't know anything about their real estate. <laughs> Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little teapots. One with a fancy top, one with a loose lid. <laughs> 
a little joke I picked up in the gypsy tea room. <laughs> Professor, you know, I don't know what it is, but you look so different. Huh? Yes, it's your eyebrows. I've never seen them so bushy. Bushy? Hmm. There's a mirror. Well, how do you like that? What can it be? No, I know. Last night when I kissed Mrs. O'Reilly, I must have slipped. These are her eyelashes. <laughs> well, you shouldn't steal kisses in the dark. Who would kiss her in the daytime? <laughs> with me, it's night madness. Tell me, Janie, what are you going to do with yourself while Richard's away? Oh, I'll keep busy. Incidentally, Professor, you're invited to Richard's farewell party on the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary? Mm-hmm. And what a boat. It's really a hotel on water. Well, to me, that's no novelty. When it rains, my room has the same features. <laughs> but I'll go and wish Richard good luck. Come in. Hello, Miss O'Reilly. Girls, have you some aspirin? I think I'm getting a cold in my head. Of course, it can be my imagination. It's not your imagination. Here are your eyelashes. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Professor. Girls, lately he's been so sweet to me. For instance, last night we had a snack in the kitchen and he turned out the lights and held my hand. <laughs> was that your hand? I was reaching for the pickles. <laughs> I'll go along with you, Professor. Uh, Janie, when does Richard leave for England? Tomorrow night, Mrs. O'Reilly, and you're invited to his farewell party on the Queen Mary. Oh, bless him. I'm going right up and bake him a nice cake in case he gets hungry on the trip. Or in case the ship needs more ballast. <laughs> oh, hush with you, Professor. Come upstairs and talk to me while I bake a cake. And if you're a good boy, I'll give you a picture to hang over that hole in your wall. No, thank you. I don't want to cover that hole. It overlooks a beautiful view. Why, all you can see out of there is the city dump. Compared to my room, it's a beautiful view. <laughs> See you tomorrow night on the boat, Jamie. Goodbye. Bye. Jane? What, honey? Well, while Richard's away, maybe Al has a friend who will date you. That's very sweet, Irma, but I don't think the warden would let him out just for that. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hi, Al. Hello, Al, honey. What are you looking so happy about? Chicken, you are looking at a millionaire. Oh, Jane, did you hear that? Al's a millionaire. Al, there are three people in this room, one of whom is a very big skeptic. Well, explain. Happen to have a, a big, big deal. deal. Yeah. Well, what is it? It's confidential. Al, believe me, I'll keep your secret. In fact, I'm not even going to hear it. Goodbye, all. Sarcastic shrew. Would like to tame her. <laughs> oh, Al, don't look so... Don't look so sad. Don't let Aunt, look. Don't let Jane hurt your feelings. Tell me your new deal. I'm not a septic. <laughs> well, all right. It, it's a. Uh... Oh, Al, I think it's wonderful. It can't miss. Chicken, I like you to have confidence in me, but you go overboard. <laughs> Must hear the deal first. It's a report card with a railroad ticket printed on the back, so when a kid gets bad marks, he can leave town. <laughs> You know, a, a thing like that can stamp out all juveniles. Ah, chicken, what's the use? I just heard myself say it, and it's nothing. And Jane's right. I'm nothing. Oh, but, Al, to me, you're everything. No, chicken, it's about time I face back. I can't get any place in New York. Well, uh, 
maybe you should go to a larger city. <laughs> this is the biggest chicken. But it's no good for me. This town has got me down. I gotta move on. Need new worlds to conquer. Oh, Al, you're just depressed. You'll feel better when you go to the party tomorrow night and see Richard off to London. Richard's going to London? Uh-huh. Hey, chicken, that sounds like the spot for me. In that fog, a guy can get away with anything. I mean, uh, <laughs> nobody is poking their nose in his business. Oh, but Al, you'll be on the other side of the ocean and I'll miss you so. Every time I go to Coney Island and I see something washed up on the beach, I'll think of you. <laughs> Tender thought, chicken. Now, all I gotta figure out is how I can get to London without pain. And there's only one man who can help me. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. Got to get to England on the Queen Mary. No fun. What's my move? Contact Saltwater Sam, who works very close with Limehouse Louie? Well, how will I know him, Joe? When I go down to the Queen Mary, I'll see a head sticking out of a porthole? Yeah, but there's a lot of portholes on the Queen Mary. Throw a rock at the head. If it doesn't duck, it'll be saltwater sand. <laughs> Used to work at the Coney Island baseball concession. Oh, yeah, I remember him. The guy was always complaining his feet were hurting. <laughs> yeah, but Joe, how, how will he get me over? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. He'll pack me in a sealed can filled to the top with oil? But Joe, how will I breathe? What if I don't? The right is for nothing. <laughs> no, Joe, thanks for the effort, but do not wish to travel as a sardine. Goodbye, Joe. Chicken, Joe gave me the idea. I'm going to stow away on the Queen Mary. Oh, but I'll, they're liable to catch you. Got to take that chance. Oh, but I'll miss you. Chicken, our future lies beyond the seas. Who knows? I may go to the continent, pick up some polish, contacts, maybe even a title. Imagine me coming back, a prince. Oh, what a thrilling day that'll be. A and I'll be waiting for you on the pier saying, Here, Prince! Here, Prince! <laughs> well, we're all set to go down to the Queen Mary to see Richard off. Believe me, Jane Stacy is one great actress. Hmm. I won't show him what my real feelings are. I'll be casual, indifferent, blasé. Think I'll take four handkerchiefs along in case I crack. <laughs> but I won't. I can control my emotions. I'll just say, uh, have a nice trip, Richard. And he'll kiss me. He'll kiss me. And I'll report immediately to the captain and ask to join the crew at no salary. <laughs> Oh, what's the use of kidding myself? As far as we women are concerned, baseball is not the national sport. <laughs> and, as if I didn't have enough on my mind, Irma and Al are acting very strangely. They're behaving in a very offbeat manner. Irma, look, look we better get to the pier, honey. The boat will be leaving soon. And what's going on between you and Al? Uh, don't worry about us, Jane. We'll meet you there. You'll meet me there? I don't understand. You two aren't up to anything. Oh, no. And why are you staring at each other? Uh, you heard that expression, drink to me only with thine eyes? We're on a binge. Well, I was only trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, I haven't got time to discuss it now. I'll see you on the boat. And be sure that nothing goes wrong. Goodbye. 
Okay, chicken. We gotta act fast. Gotta promote an angle that'll take care of my passage on the Queen Mary. Well, I, I, I've got a thought, but I don't think you'll like it. Speak up, chicken. Many a great thought has come from the mouth of a child. Al, why don't you work your way across? Go away, kid. You bother me. <laughs> well, Al, I don't know what other what other way there is of going, but one thing I insist on. If you're going to go, it has to be honest. See what you mean, chicken. You can trust me. Got the angle. We'll stow away in a lifeboat. Oh, but Al, that's not honest. What do you mean, chicken? Does anybody else go in a lifeboat? No. Well, then if I'm not taking anybody else's place, it's honest. Oh, I apologize, Al, darling. You know, for a moment it seemed crooked, but when you explain it, it, it still seems crooked. But you say it so honestly that I know it's not crooked. <laughs> like that trait in you, chicken. If you were only the district attorney, this would be a pro progressive city for a man like me. Now, chicken, getting into the lifeboat is simple, but the main thing is, how do I get food and drink? Well, that's simple, Al. Just ring for room service. <laughs> chicken, don't you understand? No one must know I'm in the lifeboat. So it must depend upon you to get the food to me. Mm. After two days, I'll come out and they can't throw me off. But, Al, uh, how will I do it? Easy, chicken. So they won't suspect me when I get on board. You bring a suitcase full of the necessities of life. Walk casually along the upper deck where the lifeboats are, slip me the suitcase, blow me a kiss, and then walk nonchalantly back to the pier. But, uh, Al, how will I know what lifeboat you're in? Well put question. You walk along and knock twice on each light lifeboat, like this. When you hear two knocks back, you know I'm under the canvas. All right, Al. Uh, chicken, feel the need of a rehearsal. Okay. Now, you're on the boat, and yeah. someone comes up to you and says, What are you doing with that suitcase? What do you say? Do you think I'd let my boyfriend in that lifeboat starve? <laughs> Chicken, don't you see? They mustn't know I'm in the lifeboat. We'll tell you what to say. You are a fashion designer, and you're taking some sketches over because you're putting on a fashion show, as you understand, a lot of women over there have nothing to wear. Got it? Uh, got it. Just to be sure I'm sailing with the wind behind me, repeat it for me. Oh, hell, that's silly. Give it back to me, chicken. All right, Al. I'm putting on a show over there for a group of women who are sketches, and they're going to be a show without wearing anything. <laughs> now, aren't you sorry you asked me to repeat it? Chicken, forget it. We'll give you a simple phrase you can't miss. If anyone talks to you, say you're going over with a convention of the Daughters of the American Revolution. You got it? Yes, I'm going over with the Daughters of the American Revolution. Perfect. See you on the boat. And don't forget the suitcase and the two knocks for a signal. Okay, uh, Daughters of American Revolution, suitcase and two knocks. Well, I'm in Richard's stateroom on the Queen Mary. He's driving me crazy. He's taking one last look at the New York skyline. And I'm a girl. I'd like him to take one last look at my waistline. But he's not going to leave before I plant a good kiss on him. Richard. Uh, what is it, Jane? Uh, haven't you forgotten something? Well, I don't think so. I've got my uh, tickets. No, uh, no, I, I didn't mean that. Well, there's my trunk and the large suitcase and my, uh, my visa. Richard, I I'm not talking about the things you're taking with you. I'm speaking about something you're leaving behind. Oh, I know what you mean, Jane. Oh, you're a darling to think of it. The kennel said they'd take care of my dog. 
Richard, for your information, I cannot bark. <laughs> but you're also leaving me behind. Oh, Jane, I've been an awful fool. I apologize. Oh, well, don't waste time apologizing. The boat's sailing. Come on over here, darling. Oh, Richard. Oh, murder. Whoever you are, just slip it under the door and go away. Tell me, me, Professor Cravatti. <laughs> Hello, Richard. I came to wish you a good trip. And I came along with the professor to give you my best wishes, too, Richard, darling. Oh, thank you, folks. Uh, Jenny, we're not interrupting anything, are we? Oh, no, no. Where are Al and Irma? Oh, they'll be along. Richard, here's a little going-away present for you. It's a cake. Well, thank you. It's my mother's recipe. She used to make it for my father. Richard, you'll be interested to know that Mrs. O'Reilly was an orphan when she was two. Oh, go on with you, Professor. He's such a boy at heart, always trying to amuse me with little games. Like when we came aboard, he wanted to play pirates, blindfold me and let me walk the gangplank. <laughs> so I'll think of something else. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you're here, Irma. I don't want to sail without saying goodbye to you. Uh, where's Al? Oh, uh, he'll see you later, Richard. Uh, uh, like in a couple of days. What? Oh, oh, uh, have a nice trip, Richard. And when you get to England, will you stop off at Oxford and bring me some of those shoes that the students make there? <laughs> oh, Irma, don't be ridiculous. Say, honey, what's the idea of the suitcase? Oh, uh, I'll tell you later, Jane. Uh, I want to take a look around the boat. Oh, bon voyage, Richard. That's French. I, I didn't want to use it because this is an English boat, but you'll understand. <laughs> Thank you, Irma, and, and goodbye. Gee, now I've got to find the lifeboat where Al is. Well, miss, are you going to take the tip trip across with us? Uh, no, General, just partway. What? I mean, my boyfriend. Uh, I mean, uh... Uh, this is a nice boat, General. I'm not a general. I'm a captain. Oh, well, you work hard. You'll get a promotion. <laughs> oh, where, uh, where are the lifeboats? Right up here on the top deck. May I carry your bag, miss? Oh, no, thank you. Is this your first trip abroad? Uh, yes, sir. I'm going over with my daughters to start a revolution. <laughs> what? What are you knocking on that lifeboat for, miss? Well, it's good luck to knock on wood. <laughs> Sir, haven't you any work to do, like throwing out the anchor or checking the oars? I have a crew to do that. Hmm. Now what are you knocking for? Uh, I'm sorry, I thought I heard someone say, come in. I beg your pardon? Lady, will you please stop knocking on those lifeboats? All right, I will. I don't wish to be rude, but it's just against the rules. Yeah, would you like a cigarette? Uh, no, thank you. Now, if you don't mind, I'll smoke my pipe. What's a captain without a pipe? I'll just knock out some of this tobacco. <laughs> what was that? Your pipe made an echo. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I think there's somebody in that lifeboat. Oh, no, if there was anybody in there, Al would chase him out. <laughs> Who's Al? My boyfriend, the man in the lifeboat. What? I don't know who you're talking to, but tell him to blow. <laughs> Whoever's in there, come out. 
Ain't nobody in here but us oars, folks. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Oh, a stowaway. Now, just a minute, Your Honor. I got influence. I know the captain. Oh, you do? Uh, uh, let me handle this, chicken. The captain happens to be a very good friend of mine. I see. Al, Please, I chicken. You... I was hired by the captain to inspect the lifeboat. Uh, Al, you What see... is it, chicken? This is the captain. <laughs> well, captain, this is a fine way to treat an old friend. <laughs> Didn't you recognize me? No. But I do know that you'll be thrown off this ship. You could be locked up for a thing like this. Now, wait a second there. I'm a friend of Mr. Richard Ryanlander. Oh, yes? Well, we'll just see about this. Come with me. All ashore that's going ashore. Oh, gee. Richard, we have to go now. Please take good care of yourself, darling. I will, Jane. Have a good trip, Richard. Oh, bless you, my boy. Now, don't wait, Janie. Give him a great big kiss. Yes, it's an old custom to kiss people while leaving goodbye. Oh, I didn't know that. I must get tickets to some place. <laughs> Save your money, Mrs. O'Reilly. You could go around the world six times and I wouldn't shake hands with you. Oh, hush up, Professor. Go on, Janie. Give him a big kiss. I think I will. And thank you. I think you've been a grand audience all afternoon. Oh, forget it, Richard. I'll mail you a kiss. Come in. I'm sorry to bother you, Mr. Rhinelander. I'm Captain Pearson. I found a stowaway who claims he's a friend of yours. Irma and Al. Oh, well, you see, Jane, Al wanted to make contacts. And he saw... Oh, don't bother. Don't bother explaining. We're getting off this boat and you're not getting out of my sight, the two of you. Goodbye, Richard, darling. Bon voyage. Goodbye, Jane. So long, gang. Take Goodbye. good care of yourself. All ashore that's going ashore. Come on. Come on, hurry up. Follow me into this elevator. Come on, Professor, quick. Take it easy. Mrs. O'Reilly has my arm and she hasn't hurried since Bull Run. <laughs> Come on, now. Now, let, let's make sure that everybody's here. Al, you, Professor... My goodness, where's Irma? Well, she was just here. She must have taken the wrong door. Last call, all ashore that's going ashore. Oh, good heavens, she'll be stranded on the boat. Well, we've got to find her. Everybody look. Everybody look in different directions. Oh, come on. Right. Come along, Mrs. O'Reilly. Run. I can't, Professor. It's these new long skirts. Why do you bother with long skirts when it's a long hat you need? Come on. <laughs> Hurry up, Al. Hurry. Steward. Yes, lady? We've been looking high and low for a friend of ours. She's a blonde in a red suit. A blonde in a red suit? Huh? Oh, yes. I believe she's the last person we let off the boat before we sailed. Before we sailed? Ow! We're moving! Uh, isn't that the young lady you mean waving down there on the pier? <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard? Ladies, you can save 50% on a modern heavy-gauge aluminum saucepan, just the kind of a two-quart saucepan with a cover that's so useful in your kitchen. The saucepan is a fine 18-gauge aluminum with a no-twist handle, and both the hand and cover knob are made of no-burn Bakelite. This handsome saucepan is worth $2.00. 
but you can get it for only $1. It's the famous Regal Aluminum Ware, the really perfect modern kitchenware. Yes, and they're made with inside sunray finish. So bright, so beautiful. Now here's all you do to get them. Send in box tops or wrappers from any two of these Lever products. Lux Flakes, Rinso, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Silver Dust, Spry, or Swan. And when you buy them, you can get handy order blanks as well as the other information you need. Orders will be sent postpaid within three weeks. The offer expires August 1st, 1948. It is subject to state and local regulations. Just send your money together with box tops or wrappers from two Lever products and your name and address to Lever Homemakers Club, Box 1, New York City. by the pilot boat, except for the fact that I got soaked to the skin and so sick I couldn't walk. It was a delightful experience. But I haven't forgiven Irma for the trick she and Al tried to pull, so I said, Irma, what in the world ever made you believe that Al would do any better in London than he does here? And Irma said, well, Al is very handy with tools, and I heard that the London bridges are falling down. Maybe he could fix them. You know something? I'm living with someone beyond repair, and that's my friend, Irma. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lieber Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our Friend Swan with my friend, Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound. Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater, immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Fibber McGee and Molly, followed by Let George Do It. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.